0: You're listening to the Mindful Drinking Podcast with Derek Brown on the NASM Podcast Network.
1: Hello and welcome to the Mindful Drinking Podcast, where we talk about mindful drinking, obviously, no and low alcohol cocktails, and social wellness. I'm your host, Derek Brown, and I am a certified wellness coach with the National Academy of Sports Medicine, uh, an award-winning bartender, and the author of Mindful Mixology, a comprehensive guide to no and low alcohol cocktails. Gives you a little reason why I'm here. And today, I wanna talk about alcohol and society. But before we get to this, let me address the elephant in the room. When we are discussing Mindful drinking, and we're talking about mindful drinking in the context of reduction of alcohol, or we're talking about not drinking, like non-alcoholic cocktails. Some people might think that that means I am anti-alcohol, but that could not be further from the truth. For me, and put it in a pretty, pretty blunt way, I don't really care if you drink alcohol or not. I care about you, and I want you to make good choices for yourself. But whether or not you drink alcohol is really your business what I want to do is share options and share information. And so today, when we talk about alcohol's relationships with society, we're going to share the fact that alcohol has really been an integral part of our of human societies and human culture for a very long time. In fact, it's there at our earliest endeavors, when we're talking about relig- the earliest religious celebrations, when we're talking about um, agriculture, where they still don't know what came first, beer or bread. Both of those are made in similar processes. It seems in some ways that people, unlikely that people would band together and do such an effort to create a loaf of bread, to be honest with you. But that's for the anthropologist. That's for the archaeologist. What today we want to talk about is more contemporary societies with a little bit of history thrown in and talk about the fact that alcohol is still really important to culture and when i say that you might be thinking about you know an uh alcohol in the sense of going to a bar and having a vodka and soda or something like that and that seems to some degree devoid of culture you know this is a big brand that you're buying this is a a bar that's full of people and not necessarily ritualistic in a certain way but when we think about traditional beverages and we think about um alcoholic drinks that have this lineage this history then we certainly want to. Um, then we certainly want to make sure that we respect those traditions, that we understand those traditions. So um, let me go ahead and, with no further ado, introduce our guest, who is Cecilia Rios Morieta. and she really does understand these traditions and cultures. In fact, Cecilia used to have a mezcal brand herself, and right on the topic of mezcal and even wrote a book on tequila. So I feel like she really grasped that. Um, Since then, she's changed her relationship with alcohol and has a non-alcoholic brand. So I think she's on both sides of it in a way. And I would love to just dig in and start asking you questions right now, Cecilia. How are you today?
0: I am very well, Derek. Thank you so much for having me today. It is such a pleasure to see you and um, yeah, dive into this conversation that's so important today.
1: Excellent. Well, I'm just going to go ahead and ask the first question uh, right off the bat. And, And I think it really is just about the fact that you have this relationship with alcohol in the past where you wrote about Mezcal and tequila. And I'd love to hear just how you came across that. How did you start writing on the topic and what is your relationship to Mezcal and tequila?
0: Yeah, well, I guess my... My first relationship to mezcal and tequila would be um, my heritage. I am originally from Mexico City, and um, although I don't come from a, a mezcal-producing family, I discovered mezcal in my mid twenties. I would say when I went to Oaxaca for the first time in two thousand nine, and um, for those of you who do know mezcal, you 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 just it it's something so. Intricate and and woven into the part of the of the of the Mexican history and and like you said um, I'm not an anthropologist but but it is kind of part of the founding of Mexico um, the way that that this this beverage started to be produced um, and and I just fell in love I fell in love with mezcal I fell in love with Oaxaca I fell in love with the people that were making this amazing beverage. And and I just wanted to share that with people, and so um, it it simply started with me just bringing bottles back to Mexico City, sharing that with my friends and family, talking about mezcal, learning more about the stories behind these productions, and sharing that. And all of a sudden, I I started writing a blog. I, I became um, a writer of stories, and and I and I um, somebody coined the term La Niña del Mezcal. Um, from, from me telling, telling these stories. And, and then that became my, my first brand. Um, I went back and I, and I started just my own production, bottled this, this mezcal, brought it to the U S started sharing that with people here. And it's been an amazing journey. I mean, like you said, I am not, um, I I'm not adverse to alcohol. Like I love alcohol. It's been a big part of my life. And, and I know there's a lot of people who enjoy it and, and I enjoyed it. However, I came to realize that my relationship with alcohol was not healthy. And so I, I took the decision to walk away from that. And but it's great for for people like you and, and, and your listeners to understand that um, it is a part of our culture. Like we, we drink and, and it's part of Mexican culture and it's part of many other cultures. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of like how I, I got started in, in this amazing world of beverages. Um, and now I, I wanted to translate that into the non-alcoholic space. Um, and through, through Jazz, which is our non-alcoholic cocktail company, um, we can continue to tell these stories, but in a, in a different way.
1: All right, hold it there, because we're going to get into your relationship with alcohol a little deeper, and we're going to talk about jazz. But I want to just mention something that I think is really important, because when you're talking about it being important to Mexican culture, um, it's woven into the cosmology. I mean, it's woven into to hundreds of years of the production of agave, but now I realize when I hear it, if you're listening and, and you're not in our world, where you're not in beverage world, you might be saying, "What is mezcal?" So, so let me get you to define that really quickly before we move on.
0: All right. Um, years of doing this, mezcal is a an agave spirit. It is um, it is recognized as, as a denomination of origin, which means that you can only make mezcal in certain regions of Mexico. From the plants that grow in that region, and and so it's a it's a cousin of tequila, or 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 like some people say, like all tequila is mezcal, but not all mezcal is tequila. So it's made from agave, but it's made from different varietals of agave, and um and the really great thing about mezcal is that it is still produced in the same way that it was produced 400 years ago. And so you'll you'll find in these small towns in of Mexico, these rural areas that people are making mezcal in literally their backyard, which is amazing. And and even though it's made in such such um artisanal ways, it is still one of the most sophisticated spirits in the world. Um so that that's mezcal.
1: That's unbelievable. Yeah. And I've been lucky to be able to travel to areas of mezcal production and in some areas, it's even called by different names. As you were pointing out, tequila is a kind of mezcal, um, sort of what uh, cognac is to brandy, if people know that relationship. Um, and I went to Guadalajara and they had Rocio, which is yep. like mezcal and these small, what they call tavernas or uh, houses of production um, that are really just farmers uh, mm-hmm. that have been doing this for hundreds of years. And, and it's really delightful to come across it and see how they consume it and a, p- a big part of that is that they have it with food. And so I wanted to pick your brain about that a little bit before we move on. What do you see as mezcal and tequila's relationship to food?
0: Yeah, I love that you that you talked about ricea and how it's basically another mezcal but just made and called differently in a in a different region. Um, the same can be said for bacanora, which is another mezcal that's made in Sonora. Um, and so. So when you when you think about the food relationship to these beverages, it's really great to think about how, um, for example, Mexican cuisine can be so different in all of these regions, right? And that's one of the things I loved about mezcal so much was was this this denomination of origin, but also it, its its regionality. Um, when you're in Oaxaca, you're drinking mezcal next to um, mole dishes, and 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 mole, um, if you don't know, is made with could be 40, could be 100 different spices, but um, one of the main moles in Oaxaca is made with chocolate, and, and so those notes just pair so beautifully with the mezcals from Oaxaca, which are smoky, they're earthy, they have these nice natural um, black and red pepper spices and cinnamon notes, um, and so if you go to the t- tequila, you'll find it paired with, a, with the regional food there um, in, in, the re- in the region of uh, Jalisco, and, and when I was in, in, in Sonora, when we were making Bacanora, um, we were drinking bacanura there with the food there with the carne asada just coming out from the from the grill and 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 those herbal very green notes of the bacanora just paired so beautifully there with the with the with the carne asada and the and the and the tortillas that were just being made handmade in front of me Um, and so yeah there is this connection with the gastronomy with the local foods in Mexico that is very tied to the beverages that are being made there.
1: And I made the mistake of skipping lunch for a smoothie, so right now my stomach is just turning with interest in that in, in all of those dishes. So, um, but I'll, I'll get through it. And I want to move on to a slightly different angle because I know that you had mentioned this already, and it's part of my story too: is that you changed your relationship to alcohol. Obviously, you know you were part of this um, sort of beverage world, just like I was, and it can be a little bit. Um, sometimes uh, a little bit not dangerous i guess dangerous is part of it but it, it can kind of suck you into you know believing that alcohol is something that you can just consume all the time and drink every night and five or six drinks is no problem um but i'd love to hear more about your particular relationship to alcohol and how you changed it
0: absolutely um this is something that i i like to be very vocal about um how my relationship with alcohol changed and and the way that i think about it is I had a great run. I loved my journey in, into the world of mezcal, into the world of spirits. Just meeting people like you, um, people who were involved in wine production, whiskey, all like traveling all over the world, learning about different processes, and and it was great. But I I did have to realize I came to a point in my life where I became very self aware of my personal relationship with alcohol and and how it had never started. It, my my first time drinking never, didn't even start well. Like I think I blacked out the first time I drank and I was about 16 years old, which is terrible. But, um, but I, I have, um, I have a genetic predisposition to not process alcohol well. And, and so even though I made a very successful career in the liquor industry throughout that, and I think that was one of the things that probably, you know, helped to, 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 to create a better relationship with alcohol was being in the liquor industry um i personally could just not tolerate alcohol like i i I would go through periods of time when i would be sober um, and i would have a great time i would still go out meet customers meet um people in the industry and and then something would happen it was new year's eve and i had a glass of champagne and then i would go back into the same the same routine and and i just didn't feel good anymore i didn't feel it wasn't making me happy I was not liking the way I was feeling the next day. I wasn't liking the way that some of the decisions that I made while I was drinking. And, and I realized that I, I could not moderate. And, and that for me was a big, big decision to um, b- big moment of acceptance of like, okay, I've tried this. It doesn't work for me. I think I just need to go off it. <laughs> and so,
1: um,
0: yeah, it, it was, it was easy because I, I recognized and cherish the time that I did spend drinking and I and I feel like I had a good time. And so I, I wanted to just change that and live in a different way.
1: Great. Well, you are listening to the Mindful Drinking podcast, and we are talking about alcohol's relationship to society with Cecilia Rios Morietta. And we're getting into tequila, mezcal, and sometimes how too much tequila and mezcal can go the wrong way. So let's get right back to that. Um, Cecilia you were sharing that your relationship to alcohol changed and you're sharing that it just wasn't for you which I think is obviously a very wise decision um and I think that each one of us has our individual relationship with alcohol when we say that alcohol is important to culture and society I don't think what we're saying is that that means everybody has to drink come on people start drinking more so we can you know save culture and society what we're saying is that there is a space for celebration and connection that is around alcohol. But sometimes there's people like you and me, or people who don't drink, you know, or drink intermittently. And for whatever reason, they're not drinking that night that they want something different. And we have seen the birth of an incredible non alcoholic movement, if you will mindful drinking movement where people are starting to use uh, products that are delicious alternatives to alcohol. Sometimes they are like alcohol in the sense that they mimic some of the flavors, and sometimes they're totally different. Now, you created a beverage I want to get into and a company called Jazz, and it's, a. let me give a word to the audience right now, RTD. That means ready to drink. So it's something that you is already in the can, but that doesn't mean that it's low quality. In fact, for Cecilia, it's a very high quality product. And I'm particularly interested in the Paloma that you created, which is obviously a traditional cocktail. So would you tell us more about Jazz and maybe get into the Paloma a little bit?
0: Yes. Uh, so Jazz, um, like you said, for us, it was very important to maintain that quality and maintain that same essence um, of the experience that you find in traditional cocktails, the traditional cocktail experience. Mm-hmm. And so um, for, for the Paloma Libre, we took our inspiration on creating a recipe that was very reminiscent of those Oaxacan mezcals that, that, we, that I encountered and that and that we um that I curated in, in, in La Niña del Mezcal. And so taking that that inspiration of, like I said, the botanicals, those notes of cinnamon, cardamom, a little bit of black pepper. Um, um, vanilla. Uh, we we crafted an all natural recipe. Uh, we created this ready to drink cocktail that ha- that can that can be drank at any top um, craft cocktail bar in the U.S. or or in the world. Um, but it can also be enjoyed at home and it and it's accessible. It it gives you that that feeling that you're still having fun. You're still part of the occasions that we're talking about. You're still part of the culture and and you can have something. It doesn't have to be alcoholic, but it can still be that vessel to come together to to celebrate life and and really enjoy your life to the fullest.
1: That's amazing, because that really answers my next question, although I'm going to ask it anyway, because I want you to kind of elaborate on it. And the question is, is it possible to remove alcohol from these celebrations and connect and enjoy yourself? Because I think we talked about how there's this historic connection and it's even connected to the cosmology. How do we use non-alcoholic products to come together.
0: Oh, it's absolutely possible. Uh I think I think you and I are proof of that. We um even though we've changed our relationship with alcohol, it doesn't mean that we've changed who we are or or the way that we engage with the people in our lives. I I think it's definitely um, we have grown into a culture of just embracing alcohol in every occasion. Um, we've normalized this, this act of just drinking and getting drunk everywhere, especially in, 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 in Hispanic culture. Like I, I remember, you know, like going to, to parties um, where all my family members were drinking at 12 p.m. at a baptism at, you know, <laughs> it's like the, the moment that you would least expect, um, alcohol is everywhere. Uh, but but we can still engage in these moments and and be fully present. I, I feel like that that was my main goal was to um, really be able to drink something that can still evoke that same feeling of excitement and joy for the things that we that we. Um, the things that we celebrate and 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 not have to have alcohol because you wanna be there, you wanna remember it the next day, um, but you also wanna have something that makes you feel good, right? Like you wanna have something in your hand, you wanna be drinking something, you wanna talk about something that you're consuming and 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 that that is an extension of you. I think all the products that we buy are extensions of our of ourselves. We express ourselves through the things we drink, the things we eat, the things we talk about. and And so, for us, jazz is that vessel. it's It's something that makes you feel good. You can drink it anywhere, and you can express yourself through it.
1: That's amazing, yeah, I, I think that I want to introduce another term that i I think our audience is somewhat familiar with, but the term social wellness. Um, That's something that I think is really a part of this discussion and a really important part is that, you know, we can remove the alcohol and that's okay, but we can't remove that social element. It's such an important marker of our individual health and by virtue of that, our, our societal health, you could say. And so I think that's a really great point that you can you know, you can remove the alcohol, but still enjoy the complexity of the beverage, you can still connect to other people. And in fact, you know, in some ways, it might be better depending on your own relationship with alcohol. I know that like people would say to me, sometimes they'd say something like, well, you know, how do you, you know, go to a bar and meet and connect with people. I said, "How do you go to a bar and remember the people you met and connected <laughs> with?" You know, but there's two sides to this coin, and it's very important to uh, to look at both before making your judgment about how and what you're going to drink. So, um, I want to throw one more thing out there, um, and and you know, obviously, there's lots of other beverages besides jazz, so we can talk about that too. But I'm just curious what you would, because you did such a great job of describing how mezcal goes with food what would you pair the jazz Paloma with
0: oh that's a great question uh, I think I love it with um, I, I think because of the notes very refreshing you have a little bit of that spiciness as well um, but but the grapefruit and the lime juice uh, give it a a bit of a of a Freshness to it, and 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 that bitterness flavor that lingers. I I really like it with seafood. Um, I've I've paired it often at home when my mom makes an agua chile or like ceviche. Um, it goes really well with that. Um, what else? It's a really great brunch sipper as well. Um, I think with with some brunch dishes, it could go really really great. And um, what else? What else would I drink jazz with? I don't know. I think you can just drink it by itself as well if you want. Um, but but yeah, it's it's definitely um, it it's appealing to to those to those very types of flavors that that evoke that freshness and that that um, that citrus notes.
1: That's amazing. Yeah, that's so good. Um, I, I, I'm still getting hungrier by the minute. <laughs> I know, I don't know why I'm doing this to myself. But um, so so listen. In a way you know, not in a way, we're absolutely saying you can enjoy yourself without alcohol. You can even do some of the things that alcohol normally does, like the pairings, right? I think um, another traditional beverages for a lot of societies, for a lot of cultures is wine, especially um, European cultures, but, but throughout the world, Africa, um, uh, South America, even in, in, in Asia and China, there's, there's wines made everywhere and they're, they're, integrated with um, culture. And sometimes they have what you talked about, these sort of denomination of origin. So I think that's a really cool term. So let's talk about that for a second. There's this idea that a specific beverage can come from a specific place. Can you talk about that in a broader sense?
0: Of course. Um, The denomination of origin or DO Is it's basically um, a set of rules that are imposed by that location or that region um, for the products that are made there. Typically, it's agricultural products. Um, It could be food. um, It could be cheeses, uh, and and definitely a lot of beverages, like you mentioned, cognac, champagne, and and the whole purpose behind the denomination of origin is to offer that protection to the people who are who who. In, in some way invented these processes, um, but also to the things and the elements that impart flavor into the into the beverages. For example, the terrar. Um, the terrar is is just like all these qualities that exist in the land where these products um the 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 whatever product is being transformed into um into into the the, the beverage right. um like like wines are made out of grapes you know you have these grapes that are grown in a specific terroir um, that will have that that denomination of origin and so for for example mezcal going back to mezcal um, the 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 terroir for mezcal will be different in 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 the regions right like oaxaca is a very It's like valleys and and mountainous regions, but if you go to Sonora, the terroir there is gonna change drastically because you have a desert. And and so the flavor of that agave that that will be transformed into mezcal will change and you'll have completely different expressions, even though the varietal could be the same. It could be agave espadine or angustifolia just grown in Sonora versus the Oaxaca one, and the flavor is gonna be completely different. And so I think that's that's a great, beautiful thing about the terroir and, and denomination of origins.
1: Yeah, that's, that's really beautiful. And I know we're getting nerdy here, folks, but <laughs> terroir is such an interesting concept because you already know this concept. If you've ever been to, let's say, you took a vacation in Greece and you enjoyed ouzo there because, no offense to Greek people, it's hard to enjoy ouzo other places. But when you go to Greece and you have ouzo and you have it with the food and in that environment, it makes perfect sense, is really nice. Um, and so that's part of the terroir, that connection. It's, it's a little bit of the microclimate the microgeography, that specific geography, that specific climate um, and tr- traditional methods of production. So the way that they make it that belongs to people, They people created those methods. So I think that's part of it. So this is what I wanted to get into a little bit. Parmesan cheese. OK, uh. follow me for a second. If you're an American and you grew up with Parmesan cheese, you believe it is it comes from a green cylinder and that it has a yellow top, I think I remember a yellow top, and that you shake it onto your pasta, and it's like this flakes of salty goodness. And what does it taste like? It just tastes like Parmesan cheese. That's it. I don't know how else to describe the flavor. However, if you've been to the region Parma Reggiano in Italy, where they produce real Parmesan cheese, it is very different than the Parmesan that we sprinkle on our spaghetti and meatballs. So, Um, That Parmesan is actually a DO, as you described, a denomination of origin, uh, along with Mezcal. And one of the fears is that the people who are creating non-alcoholic products, and some of them are creating products like a non-alcoholic gin or a non-alcoholic vodka or non-alcoholic bourbon, right? and the question is will they ever actually be able to replicate the flavor but also is it fair to use the terminology that they're using and I, and so we've talked about this before so i'd love to yeah. hear more about your opinion on that
0: yeah i see we're, we're going into controversial area here <laughs> uh, <of> course, yes. <laughs> um no i think i think this is an important subject and again why these denominations of origin exist is because we we want to protect these these production processes and these regions and the people who are making these products and so um being being able to produce a product in a denomination of origin is, is not easy. You have to go through certifications. You have to follow the rules that that have been explicitly stated by an organization, um, the government, and and so these rules exist for a reason. And and it's really in benefit to the people who are very arduously putting the work into making these products. And so, I am the I am personally of the opinion that um, if mezcal has a denomination of origin and there's re- there's only a certain way to make mescal then as a beverage producer um, a non-alcoholic beverage producer we should respect that and 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 really um, take that inspiration into the products that we make. Um, there's no way we will ever replicate it if we're not using agave, right? Like if we're not distilling the agave, <laughs> if we're not following those production processes, uh, and, and, and so taking inspiration from that and, and, and being more explicit in the way that we say that to our consumers, um, and, and respecting that, you know, there's producers that actually pay for having the name mezcal on their bottles because they went through the process. Right. And, and so, we're not allowed to put mezcal on our bottles. We can yep. say we're inspired by it, but but it's it's ultimately not mezcal. <laughs> so, right. um, so yeah, that's that's my my take on that.
1: <laughs> I think it's a really great point. You're listening to the Mindful Drinking podcast. My name is Derek Brown, and we're talking about Parmesan cheese. No, actually, <laughs> we're talking about alcohol and society. And yes, we actually talked about Parmesan cheese too. I'm talking to Cecilia Rios Morietta, and we are discussing. The concept, I guess, really of authenticity when it comes to non-alcoholic beverages, alcohol beverages, and so forth. So we're getting nerdy. Um, Follow along with us. Um, We're going to get back into it. I think that what you're saying is 100% correct. We can't really. I mean, maybe one day we'll be able to recreate Mezcal in a way that's non-alcoholic, but right now we can't. So I love this idea that we can create alternate traditions too we can have all of these things together because you know what is like alcohol for instance that is regarded throughout the world that has all of these different quote-unquote terroir terroirs that uh tea right Right. that's an element that you find everywhere and it's it's the same plant right Um, but it's grown in different areas and it exhibits different flavors and then it's roasted in different ways and fermented in different ways and all of this creates a, um, a really special, unique product. So, um, I want to, um, bring up this idea that sometimes when we're celebrating alcohol becomes like the de facto thing that we get, right? Like if I'm going to a friend's house or I'm going to a dinner party of somebody, I don't know, what do I grab? I mean, what am I supposed to grab? And I think genuinely a lot of us will think alcohol, you know, that's normal. We'll grab a bottle of wine or we'll grab, um, you know, a special bottle of uh, liquor that we mm-hmm. enjoy, a special spirit. So I think that, you know, changing those traditions a little bit so it can a- accommodate and be more inclusive is an important thing. So I wonder what you think about that.
0: I I, I definitely agree. And, and I, I think bringing it back to the culture, we can create new culture. We can. And I think it's, it's, it's it's our time to say you know what these traditions have existed for hundreds of years. Um, every time we go to a party, we're thinking, oh, which wine, which whiskey, which which bottle should I bring? Um, but now we can we can create new traditions. As new generations, we can say, oh, you know what, this is this is the new tradition in 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 today's society. Now I'm going to bring a ready-to-drink non-alcoholic, or I'm going to bring uh, a spirit alternative. I'm going to bring uh, a non-alcoholic wine, and 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 it's it's. I think it's the same. It it embodies the same feeling of of you know being of service, being celebratory, um, bringing people together, and 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 we don't have to follow the rules of the past. We can create our own rules.
1: That's right. I love that. This idea that basically, instead of just blindly following tradition, we're standing on tradition. You know, we recognize that it's an important and valuable part of our past, um, but we can innovate and change things. In fact, that's what we do as humans. We're always doing that. I'm glad we're doing that because otherwise there would be so many things that we are lacking in our society that are so important to us now. Um, And it's a shame that we no longer remember how to churn butter, most of us. Um, But it's also good that we can you know, get all different types of dehydrogenated hydrogenated oils. I don't know. I'm I'm gonna go go into a weird territory, so I'm gonna I'm gonna actually just swipe past on that and say um, that. What are some of your favorite non-alcoholic products that are new?
0: Mine. <laughs> um, okay, I think beer is one of my ultimate favorites. I love. Getting a beer when I go out to dinner with my friends. Um, again, talking about traditions, I I love happy hour. I I look forward to my Friday happy hours with my coworkers, who will now that I'm no longer working full time in in a corporate job, but I will still honor happy hour with them. And and so everywhere we go. Um, my friends will make sure that there's at least one non-alcoholic beer being served. Um, And so beer is definitely one of my favorites. I don't know if you want me to mention brands, but I'm a big fan of the Heineken Zero, like they're such great promoters of the category. And I I can recall like one time I was in Mexico city at a light stop and they were just handing them out. And I was like, this is the best marketing strategy ever because it's non alcoholic. They can just give it to people on the street and they're just like making a name for, for the category like zero beer. And um, I'm also a big fan of athletic brewing um, when I when I went to Darden I discovered them for the first time and and in Charlottesville and I love their beers I love their innovative pipeline the way they, they just come out with new flavors and test them out um, great great company and um, and then wines I also enjoy a, a non-alcoholic wine every now and then um, love the German German um, zero wines that are coming out and um, usually just get whatever my, my local Whole Foods has stocked that is new. Yeah. <laughs> the other day I saw Tsingtao, Tsingtao beer is here and I That's love cool. them, yeah.
1: Yeah, all of these larger companies are producing sort of proxy or alternative products, which is yeah. really cool and interesting. and brings up a lot of questions too. But I would say that um, I agree with you. I have like a non-o- two alcoholic beards Every night before I go to bed, it's become my ritual instead of a... a it's so a,
0: relaxing. The hot is. is just like, oh, I love it.
1: it. It it actually, there are studies that suggest that it improves gut health. Um, and also that it, for people who are heavy drinkers like us, that mm-hmm. it does still, um, you know, uh, kick in our, uh, our essentially our um, reward system so that it ah, uh, releases that dopamine sense. and we feel <laughs> just a little bit better, but not... Too much better. Um, <laughs> so I love that, and also the non-alcoholic wines. These are really good. And you mentioned the German production, mm-hmm. and that's where we really see some of the best non-alcoholic wines. Definitely like Cologne Null and uh, Leitz, Lights and Leitz, yes, um,
0: that's a good various
1: one. non-alcoholic producers. I guess it was originally the the. These are dealcoholized wines, so they make the wine in sometimes a traditional method. Fath- fashion. And then they remove the alcohol from a process that was actually invented in Germany by Carl Jung, but not that Carl Jung, right? Well, that makes sense now,
0: why they're so good.
1: (laughs) This Carl Jung was not the psychoanalyst, um, but his name was that uh, regardless. So, um, so yeah, so I think, you know, what we're saying is that there's a lot of great alternatives that we don't want to get rid of alcohol in society. Um, we don't want to point our fingers and wag our fingers at farmers in Mexico and say you shouldn't produce alcohol, <laughs> because of course they should. That's part of they've been doing it for hundreds of years. But we can also evolve our own traditions based on our, our personal need. Some of us can drink alcohol, some of us don't want to drink alcohol, and some of us don't want to drink alcohol in that moment, which is totally fair. So, with that said, I really only have one more question that I want to ask you. You're a singer. Right. So I like I not that I'm stalking your Instagram, but I, I, you know, I get it quite a bit. And I see that you'll, um, you know, start singing uh, Moana songs or what have you, which I know <laughs> um, the song, the uh, thank you that they do. That was really good. I, I watched that with my son and, and, and have carried it with me. But but tell me a little bit about you as a singer. I'm just curious.
0: Tell yeah, that that I happy to happy to talk about that. Yes, I am a singer. I have been singing since I've been talking I guess. Mm-hmm. Um and it is something that makes me so happy, Derek. It is I think it just it singing and music in general just like brings so much joy to my life and and I am grateful that I have this ability to to sing and and express myself through my singing as well. And, and it's just, I don't know, in another life, I would have been on a Broadway stage in New York and, um, and that would have been my life. But I, I feel like I, I just love it because it's, it's another part of me that I can share with people and, and it makes other people happy as well. People ever since I can remember, and when I started drinking, people would ask me to sing. Um, that's another reason why I kind of decided to cut back on that because I, 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 you know, like it was affecting the way that I was singing too. Like I wasn't singing as great as I was when I was drinking. And so, um, yeah, when, when I quit drinking, I went back to that and I started taking singing classes again. And it just—it was like like this newfound love for myself and and for life. And and in part that inspired my my journey with jazz, just wanting to share that with people.
1: That's so great, and I've been lucky enough to hear you sing, mm-hmm. and you're you're wonderful. Um, but it also just brings up the fact that, you know, um there is a lot of things that we can do to connect with each other, to bond with each other. In fact, last uh, episode, which I encourage people to go check out, uh, it was on how to drink mindfully. And I talked about karaoke. And mm-hmm. you know, I think a lot of people need that courage, <laughs> or they believe they need that courage. The
0: liquid courage, yeah.
1: Liquid courage to to sing. Um what they don't know, what they don't realize, is that it doesn't help them sing better. It just helps helps them to uh, avoid the embarrassment through not remembering or not caring. So, uh, so I think it's probably better in the long run if you want to be a karaoke star, to <laughs> not drink alcohol that night. But, um, but anyway. Um, Cecilia, I'm so grateful that you joined me today, and I feel like I learned a lot. I always learn a lot talking to you, and I really appreciate it. So thank you, and I hope that everybody out there got a glimpse of you know, the importance of alcohol in society, but the fact that it's also not important to, to each individual. We can make our own choices, and we can chart our own course, create our, our own rituals and culture. So I love that, and um, I'll see you next time.